All right, why don't you, uh, if you want to take your Bibles, I will have the notes for you. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 24. Um, We're starting a series called As in the Days of Noah, and much like Pastor Josh selected his song list, not recognizing what would be taking place this week, I feel like I should change this to, you are my sunshine, my only sunshine, Uh, because (laughs) it doesn't take long to get tired. Uh, No wonder there is so much depression in Seattle. Uh, It does not take long to get tired of all this water. Um, This is, and let me just kind of go into it. Um, This is a series that I did, and there's going to be some new things that I share with you as we go along. This is a series that I did. Anybody remember the year that I did this? 2010. Sophia, thank you. Wow. Were you looking at my notes? Or I told you. All right. So uh, I did this series in in September and the first two weeks of October in 2010. This will be the the first series that I've ever retaught since we started Faith Chapel in 97. I've never done this again on a Sunday morning. But uh, I've had people asking me on a regular basis for about a year and a half now saying, hey, would you ever do that again? So obviously there's a stirring for it. And then also we have so many people that have joined our church since 2010. Um, I mean, when I look around, there are a lot of you that were not here at that time. And this really became kind of a part of, I hate to use the word, but I'll use it kind of the DNA of Faith Chapel. It really... God used this to kind of open our eyes to his love for the world through the flood in a way that we had never seen it before. Now, here's the challenge when you do a series like this. Um, When we did this before, it was six weeks. I think I preached for about an hour and 10 minutes each week, so we're obviously going to be cutting that way back. But one of the challenges with it, for those that have heard it before, I'm going to get done today, and you're going to be like, oh, he didn't get to it. And you're going to be mad and bitter and angry. So I break that off of you right now. We cannot talk about what we talked about in the sixth week in the first five minutes of the first week because we had to work up to it. Um, I will let you know some of the things I'm going to talk about, you probably have never heard anybody communicate from a pulpit before. And I don't have one today. I have a little table. Um, So you've probably even never heard it from a table before. And that's what we're going to get to. So let me just give you this for intro, just to get your attention, uh, because some of the stuff we're going to talk about the next few weeks is a little bit crazy. As a matter of fact, when I did this the first time, I had pastors go, I can't believe you're doing that on a Sunday morning. Uh, But it's a lot of fun to dig into the Word of God on a Sunday morning. How crazy is that? Um, When the series concluded in the fall of 2010, right after that, the History Channel did a series. And the History Channel did a series entitled Ancient Aliens. How many of you have seen it or caught glimpse of the advertisement about it? They did that about a month after we concluded our series. And and now this isn't me. This is their series. In the Ancient Aliens series, there are a group of archaeologists and, and historians and crazy people. And there's a group of of a very well-educated doctors, people that have studied all over, the, all over the world that are studying the galaxy that believe there was a season when aliens came from other galaxies, other places, and they came to our planet and they basically uh, cohabitated or they took women to themselves 
and they created almost a semi-divine race. Uh, they referred to them as demagogues. Uh, have you ever heard of the Titans? And I'm not talking about the movie, The Clash of the Titans, but the Titans, demigods. If you Greek mythology, Hercules, all that. Say so he's part man, he's part God, all that kind of stuff. And they, they talk a lot about that. And they, they use some things that are really interesting to back their arguments. One of them, uh, I don't know if you know this, every continent on the planet has records of giants that have been on their continent. Every, every, you can, I mean, you can Google this stuff. I'm not pulling up every one of these resources, but in this series, even they talked about that to great length. It, they go to South America, North America, they're over in Europe and they talk about giants that have been on every continent. The other thing that they talk about is they talk about the pyramid structures that are around the world and how they're strategically located on certain points. And then they interview people that say how long it would take them to build those pyramids with those cut stones now. And they go, we would have a difficult time doing this today, let alone thinking about the ancient world being able to do those things. So they use a lot of archaeology. There's a lot of, uh, just a lot of communication, a lot of conversation. But one of the things that they do is they go to the Bible quite a bit. Now, isn't it funny, the History Channel that consistently wants to disprove the Bible, right? And they can't, <laughs> and they always want to find a reason to disprove it. They go to the Bible to try to prove their theories. Uh, one of the things they talk about is Ezekiel. Remember when Ezekiel had a vision of a wheel within a wheel? Yeah, have you ever thought, what is that wheel within a wheel? Well, according to the History Channel, it was the rotating of UFOs that were over our, over our world, all right? That's, how they, that's the wheel within a wheel, an ET, phone home, right? All that stuff takes place. Um, the other thing, though, that they referred to is Genesis chapter 6. And what's interesting, when they go there, they actually went into the original Hebrew, when they talked about Genesis chapter 6. Have you ever read that verse where it says that the sons of God took the daughters of men to themselves? Some versions say they married daughters of men. Some literally say they took them. In the original Hebrew, it's actually an aggressive word. It wasn't like he said, hey, baby, will you marry me? And she said, yeah, baby, I'll marry you. It was like, hey, baby, you're mine, and I'm taking you away. Uh, kind of like seven brides for seven brothers, okay? <laughs> Seven fallen angels for seven women. It was kind of a little different story. And, and I'm just throwing this out here just to kind of whet your appetite toward this. When it says in the scripture, and we're going to dig into this deeply, that the sons of God took the daughters of men, I'm going to give you the original Hebrew. If, if History Channel can do it, then PB can do it. It says this, the Ben Ha Elohim took the Bath Ha Adam. That's the Hebrew. Ben, as you know, Benjamin means what? Son of my right hand. Ben means son. Ha means of. Elohim is, the, is one of the words for God. Ben ha Elohim, son of God. Every time, this, check this out. Every time it's translated in the Old Testament, Ben ha Elohim, you're going to love this, especially those of you that recently received a doctorate. You're going to absolutely love this. Um, Ben Ha Elohim, every time it's translated in the Old Testament, it's translated as this word. Are you ready for it? Angel. Always translated as angel. Except in Genesis 6, for some reason, it's translated as son of God. Everywhere else, it's translated as angel. 
In my opinion, it's translated as son of God there because we're uncomfortable with angel. Now, bath is the, many of you know, we tend to say bath, but it's bath, which is daughter, ha, Adam, who's that remind you of? Adam, daughter of Adam. So in Genesis 6, as the History Channel even pointed out, that sons of God or angels, or in their opinion, aliens, took the daughters of Adam, they took women to themselves, and they created the Titans. They created, uh, that's where Greek mythology is born, is because really in actuality it was true. Aliens invaded. I'm here to tell you that scripturally, it is true that something took place, but it wasn't alien. It was spiritual. So that's what we're going to be learning and discovering. Is that, is that enough to at least get your attention? Okay. How do you want me to go right into it now rather than to go the whole background that I'm getting ready to do? Okay. I know how you are. Okay. Thanks for your honesty. Um, let me give you a thought to start this thing. And I, I present this to you because you're educated people. You're people that love Jesus. And I'm sincere in this. Satan's an expert counterfeiter. He counterfeits the genuine of God in an effort to make the genuine unbelievable. We'll leave that up there for a second. Tweet it out to your followers, all 12 of them, and, and try to impact their life. Um, one of the things that we know about the enemy is he will counterfeit something so well and make it so normal that when the genuine happens, we think the genuine's weird. I do find it interesting that the History Channel would be promoting a counterfeit message so that when I stand in front of you as a a pastor sharing from God's Word, that when we look at God's Word, God's Word looks weird rather than normal, okay? But I also present this to you because I am a human being and very fallible. And I want you to be open and sensitive to the Holy Spirit to go, Lord, is this, is this right? Am I, am I hearing from you? Is this, you know, PB's doing his best, but God, is, is, it, are you, is your Holy Spirit speaking? Is this really you? Um, several years ago, we had a service where some prophetic words were really flowing. God was, just, and I was on the mic, and the Lord was just giving me prophetic words. And uh, at the end of that service, there was a gentleman that attended here who was an angry guy. Um, he kind of became known as the angry little elf. He wasn't very tall, and, and he, he was very angry. And he wasn't here all that long, but he went home and he posted on Facebook, that's it, a psychic was in our church today. And my staff got mad. Josh Ortego, if you've never seen him fired up, he re- he's a warrior under that beard of wonder. And he, he really was angry. And the staff all wanted to just blast that guy on Facebook. And I appreciate they wanted to come to bat for me. A good team should want to do that. I'm like, guys, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. God will take care of that. And, uh, and God did take care of that. And he has hemorrhoids and, and God's good. And No, that's not... But, my point wasn't to bring up the hemorrhoidal issues. My point was to say he had been in the world's way for so long that when prophecy happened, he saw it as a, as a work of a psychic rather than as the work of God. And I would say that a prophet isn't imitating a psychic. I would say that a psychic is a counterfeit to a prophet. God gives the genuine, okay? So look at Matthew 24. I'm going to lay the background because Jesus, it, it's actually, it was actually a study, and Joe Bean and I remember we've talked about this at length. It was a study in Matthew 24 that got me going all the way back to Genesis. But um, it says this, no, and this are the words of Jesus, no one knows about the day or hour 
not even the angels in heaven nor the Son. Now that blows my mind because Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And yet here he says that the Son doesn't even know the day he's coming back. And I'm like, how do I process this? Anybody else with your brain when it comes to God, you're like, how do I process all of that? Only the Father knows, but you are the Father, right? As it was in the days of Noah, so there's kind of our, our, our theme, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days of Noah, before the flood, not the ones after, but before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. They knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. They knew nothing, even though the guy worked on an ark for 120 years, but that's another story. <laughs> I didn't see it coming, right? That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Now, we'll leave that up there for a little bit, John, if you don't mind. This paragraph um, comes out of Matthew 24. It's also in Luke 21, and it's also in Mark chapter 13. Mark got through his more quickly. Uh, everybody else took their time, wrote it out. Mark wrote his gospel like somebody that had to turn the paper in the next day that started too late. Have you ever been there? Okay, so Mark was kind of speedy, left out a lot of details, but he got to this in Mark 13. Now, let me give you the context. Uh, we've had the triumphal entry. Jesus goes into the city. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus walks in, and if everybody's celebrating, how you know you don't have a party till the table's flipped over? right? So Hosanna, blessed is he. Jesus walks over where the money changers are ripping off God's people. He flips the table over and said, my house will be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. And everybody's like, whoa. And then he and the disciples go back out of the city for the evening. And then they come back the next day. And this moment with the Pharisees continues. And they continue to examine him and talk to him. And then Jesus does uh, what most of our Bibles label at the beginning of the chapter as he pronounces the seven woes. Have you ever read that encouraging chapter? Jesus, who was always affirming, speaks seven woes. Woe to you, hypocrites. You're like the tombs that look so beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead man's bones. Woe to you. Woe to you, you Pharisees. You go overseas to win a convert, and when you win him, you make him twice the son of hell that you are. Woe to you, you Sadducees. You give a tenth of your offerings, but you neglect the matters of justice and the orphan and the poor. Woe to you. And he gives seven of these. Is it any wonder they wanted to kill him? That's right. As a matter of fact, at one point, I'm sorry, my ADD sometimes. Ryder made a noise that Bethany did not like, and she gave him the finger mom glare so quick. It was a, so sorry about that, but I got scared, and I'm on the platform just to let you know, having memories of my mom as a child, and I have to schedule another appointment with my counselor, but everything... <laughs> So Jesus, Jesus speaks all these things. Whoa, hypocrite. And you all know the word hypocrite in the Greek. What does it mean? Actor. It means actor. So he's like, woe to you, actors. You're playing a part, but you're not the real deal. I mean, it was a strong word. Okay, no wonder they were so upset. And Jesus and his disciples get ready to leave Jerusalem. Now, can you imagine? Have you ever been with the person that makes everybody else uncomfortable in the room? Have you ever, or have you ever been that person? 
and you weren't even aware that you were that person. Um, but Jesus has just made everybody really uncomfortable. Pharisees are like backing up. Sadducees are seeing zealots. They're angry. They want to kill him. They're murmuring. And here's Peter, James, John, Andrew, the rest of the crew. They're like, and we're with this guy. The guy that just pronounced the seven woes. And we're starting to walk out. And one of them looks up at the temple and goes, oh, Jesus, isn't it a beautiful temple? And Jesus says, I tell you what, not one stone's going to be left on the other one. Wow, have you ever met Debbie Downer? Not that our Debbie's a downer. Our Debbie's an upper. Not a negative upper, but a good upper, all right? Okay. But Jesus, whoa, 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 look at the temple. Yeah, it's going to be destroyed. Well, thank you, right? I never saw Jesus with the gift of discouragement, have you? But he speaks that. And not one stone's going to stand on top of the other one. And they respond to that. And Mark specifically says for the disciples, uh, Peter, James, John, and Andrew went to him on the Mount of Olives. Uh, the other guys, Mark and Luke say the disciples, but Mark uh, specifies that it was only four of them that went up on the Mount of Olives and they said, okay, if the temple's coming down, what are the signs of your return? What's, what's the end going to be like? Now, I want you to think about this for a second. When all your worship is centered around a temple, and the religious system, and the sacrifices every single day, when you hear that your temple is going to be destroyed, you would probably think that's the end of the earth. Let's just be honest. Don't you think that a lot of people in Syria right now think that the end of the earth is happening? We, we're very circumstantially driven. We can't help it. And the disciples respond. They're like, Lord, where are the signs of the end of the, of the, end of the age? What's going to happen? Now, I'm going to tell you this. I'm dropping this as a new nugget for, for those that have been through this, this series before. Mark 13, 31. What does it say? Anybody remember that one? Mark 13, 31. For $50 from, from Mary Mitchell. She's very generous today. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass. Wow, that's quite a... We are getting a lot of rain. That's quite a puddle that came in. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now, I just, I want to go here for a second. We all believe John 14, where Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. We all believe in heaven. We believe God's there, the pearly gates, the streets that are more transparent than beautiful gold. We all believe that, right? That he's doing this work. Do we believe that he's going to destroy the very heaven that he's working on? To the Jews, when they heard heaven and earth will pass away, I'm just going to give you in their context, and I not our context, but theirs. They believed heaven and earth was the term used to refer to the, the, the system at the temple and the whole religious system. They believed at the temple that, that when they opened their, they poured out a sacrifice, it opened the heavens toward Yahweh. And when they came in to, to seek him, that Yahweh opened a portal that came down to them. So when they heard heaven and earth will pass away, they would interpret that to mean this whole temple and this whole system is going to be destroyed. That's not the way we interpret it, but they were actually with Jesus. That's the way they would have heard it. So that where Jesus is giving them great encouragement, when you think everything's come to an end, don't worry, my word will never pass. What I'm sharing with you will never go away. And it's in the context of this whole thing um, because... 
It was in Mark 13 when Jesus is in this same subject and he gets to the end of it, heaven and earth will pass. So, I mean, it really confirms it's all the talk about the temple and what's taking place there. And they're like, okay, Lord, what are some of the signs of the end of the age? If this is what's going to take place, look at Matthew 24, 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming? And what will be the signs of the end of the age? And as Jesus gives his comments, he actually refers to what we read at the beginning. He said, it's going to be like it was in the days of Noah. So we're finally at the first point. And I think I can do these four points quickly, and I'm going to have to if we're going to be able to keep both, uh, both services working together, or I'll get really confused. As I start this series, I want you to know all of this is to encourage, edify, and strengthen you. So Matthew 24 is a challenging chapter. It is. Jesus is talking about stuff we don't necessarily like to hear about. But here's the first thought I have for you. Jesus desires to strengthen us with his words. Anything that Jesus shares with us is for our betterment. Anything, even uncomfortable things. How many of you have, you have conversations with your children, you're not necessarily comfortable, but you're actually wanting to pull out the best in them. Okay, and Jesus does the same with us. Uh, Revelation 19.10 says this, that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So I want you to know that anytime Jesus is speaking, anytime he's testifying, a prophetic gift is in action. It's enabled right then. Now, you guys know because we've studied prophecy a lot here. Prophecy is to edify, to encourage, to build up, and to give revelation. Edify, encourage, build up, and to give revelation. So Jesus is sharing Matthew 24 in a spirit of prophecy, ultimately to encourage us, to edify us, to build us up, and to help us understand. Have you ever had times you're like, Lord, I just need to understand? And he opens our eyes so that we can understand. Second thing, number two, Jesus desires for us to be guided by truth. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, except by me. If it's of Jesus, it's truthful. If it's of Jesus, it's not 90% truthful. It's not 95% truthful. It is 100% truthful. Now, in any situation, I can find truth and pull out of it for my life, but if it's Jesus' words, it better be 100% truthful or it's not his words. He is the truth, and the truth can't mislead. The, the, the truth can't lead astray. The truth can't compromise. He just won't. It's not who he is. Jesus answered, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, if it's true of Jesus, it's going to be true of the Spirit. Look in John chapter 16, verses 13 through 14. It says this. Jesus says, but when he, because he's going to give the Spirit of God, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he'll guide you into all truth. He'll not speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears. He'll tell you what is yet to come. Oh, there's prophecy. He's going to give you revelation of what's yet to come. He'll bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. This is a remarkable couple of verses. 
How many know we've quoted the verse around here a lot when Jesus said, I don't say anything unless I hear my father say it. I don't do anything unless I see my father do it. Now we find out the Holy Spirit really operates much the same way. That he only speaks what he hears. The Holy Spirit of God operates in the same relationship that whatever he is hearing from God is what he's sharing. And where does he receive his glory? Well, he takes it from Jesus and he shares it with us that it may bring glory back to Jesus again. So we see the Spirit in unity and in harmony. All right, here's just some thoughts about the Spirit of truth. I'll put them up here quick, and if you want to take a picture of them, these are great principles that your children and your grandchildren need to know. Number one, the Spirit of truth. He guides us into all truth. Number two, He speaks only what He hears from the Father. Number three, He will tell us what is yet to come. And number four, he will bring glory to Jesus by making him known. If this, and I took all of that from those two verses. If the Holy Spirit of God is involved in this, these things are always going to be a part of it. Always going to be a part of it. All right? I love the fact that he'll tell us what is yet to come. Number three, Jesus warns us of, possibi- uh, the, of the possibility of deception. And this is when I I opened up earlier. I said, I'm a guy. I'm fallible. I I love being your pastor. It was weird when we started Faith Chapel being referred to as Pastor Brad for the first time. It was so odd to hear that. And it's not my identity. My identity is in Christ, but I really enjoy it. I never would have thought I would have been a PB. I never would have thought that happened, but now I'm a PB about everywhere I go. And now that Beth is ordained, it's PB squared. Um, in our family. So it's, it's really been, I love it, but I'm not up here infallible. So in Matthew 24, look at verses four through five. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. The last thing that I would ever want to do is deceive you. If I deceive you, I'll just say this right now, it would be unintentional. It's the last thing I would ever want to do. But we, all of us need to be on our guard. Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. Now remember, Matthew 24, what was the question? Lord, when's the end of the age? When are these things going to happen, right? And so we're starting to get inferences to the answers. Well, here's one thing you need to know. Watch out that you're not deceived because many will come in my name claiming that I'm the Christ. Now what's interesting Sometimes when we translate from Hebrew and Greek into English, we miss things, and sometimes we just completely change words. Let me just throw one at you. Do you know that the word Messiah is never in the scriptures, and yet we use it all the time? Okay, I'm not trying to offend, but we use, what does Messiah mean? Messiah means, it's two words, anointed one we've taken that word Messiah, and part of it came from the word to be smeared with oil. Like if you've anointed somebody with oil and you cover them with oil, and we're like, oh, the anointing oil, the anointed one. And we kind of, the translators created this word Messiah, okay? But ultimately, it came from this, this phrase, anointed one. 
So when it says here, I am the Christ, literally, that is, I am Christ, meaning anointed, I'm the anointed one. There will be many that will come and they'll say, I'm the Christ, and they'll deceive many. Now, we've seen that over and over again, people that claim to be Jesus. They literally just say, I'm Jesus, I'm reincarnated again. You're like, whoa, how can they miss that? But they do. The problem is, they don't always just say, I am Jesus. Sometimes they'll come out and say, I have the anointing of Jesus. I have been assigned by Jesus. I have the power of Jesus. Now, that's different than saying, I, I'm Jesus. I mean, to be quite honest with you, I'll stand in front of you and say that Jesus has put his anointing on me. And I'll say he's put his anointing on you. So the, one of the challenges with discernment is we actually believe that we have an anointing, don't we? Because the anointed one lives in us. But how many of us know that we know that we're not the anointed one? There's a difference, okay? So he says, watch out that no one deceives you. And notice this, many will come. This isn't just going to be something that happens from time to time. This is many. Matthew 24, 11 through 13 says, many false prophets, people that are supposed to give encouragement, building up edification and revelation, Many false prophets will appear and deceive what? Many. So now we've been told there's going to be a lot of deception, but now we're finding out many people are going to be deceived by it. A lot of people are going to be touched by this. Because of the increase of the wickedness, the love of most will go cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. I want you to know, most false prophets deceive people in the area of revelation. They can fake an encouragement... And they can fake a building up, but where they get askew is when they give a revelation that really isn't from God. But because they've encouraged you and because they've built you up, then you think, oh, that revelation might be right. You've really got to be discerning. Let's go to the next verse, Matthew 24, 24, and 25. False Christs, false anointed ones, false prophets will appear, oh my goodness, and they'll perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect if it were possible. See, I've told you ahead of time. There's gonna be deception in the last days on every corner. I've shared with the staff before, if we could just identify the one heresy, the one teaching that's, that's hitting God's people and let them know to stand against it, that would be great. The problem is there are heresies everywhere that are coming against God's people, we have got to be people of the word and we have got to be people of the spirit. Here's a warning. Underestimating Satan's ability to deceive you puts you in a position of vulnerability to him. If Satan was Lucifer and he deceived a third of the angels of heaven that knew the presence of God, Right? I mean, we read in scriptures that he took a third of the angels with him. If he deceived a third of the angels that were in the presence of God, if he deceived even Adam, who had never sinned, if he deceived them, if he's deceived people before, if he's deceived King David into doing things that he shouldn't do, if he's deceived Samson, my goodness, if he's deceived Paul who persecuted the church before he became an apostle of the church, if he deceived people into crucifying the Son of God, do you honestly think you can't be deceived? I, I haven't lived for 
a few millennia in the presence of God in heaven. I'm on earth 47 years, older than I've ever been, but shorter than it goes by quicker than I ever thought it would. And I've spent a lot of time in the scriptures and a lot of time praying in the spirit. My name's Brad Riley, and I can be deceived. Have you ever looked back at something that you believed even two years ago or three years ago, and you're like, dude, I was wrong. Is there a chance you could look back again two years from now or a week from now when bondage is broken? And then here we go, fourth point. We got to it. Only going to take an extra five minutes. Jesus gives us a word picture of the time before his return. So he wants to strengthen us with his words. How many want to be strengthened by the word of the Lord? He wants to guide us into truth, so he gives us the Holy Spirit. He warns us of the possibility of deception so that we can guard ourselves. And then he gives us a picture of the time before his return. And let's look in Matthew 24, verses 36 to 39. It was our text. But we'll just look at it again. Would you read it with me? Let's just read it together. No one knows about the day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man." Life was going on as normal. Men and women were getting married. People were eating a meal. They were scheduling an opportunity to get, to, to get with their neighbor and to connect with their neighbor. In the middle, as Scripture says, of a great increase of wickedness, almost like they had grown numb to the wickedness that was around them. In the middle of a great increase of wickedness, they were still just going on like life was normal, and then a flood came. And I want you to know, there's a reason that he uses this kind of language, and we're going to take some time to discover it next week. Here's the thought to kind of end with for today. Man, I appreciate our, we got guys out there fighting the rain with their big umbrellas. God bless those guys. When God made his promise, here's the last thought for today. When God made his promise, Satan started a strategy. Okay? I'll give you a little hint. I told myself I wasn't going to, but I'm going to give you a little hint. In Genesis 3.15, God spoke a word, and he said, from the seed of woman will arise one that will crush the serpent's head. From the seed of woman... Now, how many you know, I'm not trying to be gross, but we don't typically refer to women as having seed. Typically, we refer to man as having seed, right? From the seed of woman. When God made a promise that from the seed of woman, the head of the serpent would be crushed, Satan knew the target needed to be women. We're going to start talking about that next week. Let's stand together. Do I at least have your curiosity up? Four of you, thank you. All right.
Thanks for worshiping the King today. Thanks for calling on the name of Jesus. Thanks for praying for one another. Thanks for praying for Jaden. Thanks for enjoying the Word of God. Uh, that I don't know how you, it was for you guys, but that 32 minutes in the Word of God was the quickest 32 minutes I've had all week. Um, it just seems like it's flying. And uh, I really look forward to getting into this with you guys. It's going to be a lot of fun as we discover this stuff together. But um, let me just give you a couple of takeaways for this week. Ask the Holy Spirit who is in you, not just for this series, just for your life. Ask the Holy Spirit who is in you to consistently guide you, as Scripture says, into all truth. Ask Him to guide you into all truth. Right now, we are constantly being bombarded with partial truth. It's our culture. It's even the church culture. Lord, guide us into all truth. And... Um, if you're going to speak and encourage someone, if you're going to prophesy, make sure it's to build up, it's to encourage, it's to edify. A prophetic word, even if it's a challenging word, has to be given in a way where we build up and encourage God's people, that we don't diss their courage, we don't discourage them, we bless them and we strengthen them, okay? So God, I just thank you for your sons and daughters. I, I thank you for your great love for them. Your word says you actually rejoice over them with singing. And anytime I think of that, I, I tend to think of when I held my girls when they were really little and they didn't know how bad of a singer I was and I would just enjoy singing over them. And to think that we, your children, you, you sing over us. <laughs> we could be 65, 70, 80 years old in the middle of our day and you sing over us, you love us. And I just thank you for that amazing love, that amazing grace. I pray that if there's anybody in this room that uh, they've been struggling, they feel like they've been a little bit shipwrecked lately, I ask that you would help them to put their focus back on the author and finisher of their faith because you are Alpha and Omega. And I pray you'll bless them. I also speak over every one of us that we would fan into flame the gift of God which is in us through the laying on of hands. Father, in our giving today, we, we just ask that it would be multiplied for your purpose and your glory. And I, I'm just going to say it, Lord, help us in a greater capacity to help our county look more like heaven. Help us to bring more of heaven here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you guys.